Hi, you guys. This is Liz Ryan, and this is the Truth About Work podcast, episode 54, talking about work and the workplace and how to step into your power at work and get a job or do a job that deserves you and is going to help you professionally, personally, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, talking about work and how to thrive at work along with what is broken at work and how to collectively fix it, you know, because here in the U.S. at least, work comes with a lot of problems. We have a new administration in the White House, so we're looking for things to change, get better on the workplace front, Uh, and we talk about that stuff too. Yeah, but I got a question right now. Oh, here's a couple of questions that I'm going to answer on the podcast today. Question from Rushi about my posts, okay, stuff that I post on social media. Got a question from Grant um, about resumes. Got a question from Vera about going back to the office from working from home this past year. And I got a question from Michael thinking about making a career change. And a question from Denise about independent consulting. So let's dive into those. Here's Rushi. Dear Liz, I like your posts, but I can't like your posts on LinkedIn because my boss looks at my LinkedIn and what I do there, my activity, including what I like, and I'm afraid to. Mm. What do you suggest? Okay. Thanks, Rushi. You know what? I get a lot of mail like that. I love your stuff, Liz, but I cannot like your posts because my boss goes on LinkedIn and looks at us, the employees, and looks at what we do on LinkedIn to approve or disapprove of our activity there. So just, I mean, anything that I might say about the workplace, this kind of captures it, doesn't it? In a nutshell, who is this boss that has the time and inclination to go on LinkedIn and look at what you do on LinkedIn and the posts that you like, and then say, yeah, you shouldn't have liked that post. It's so gross. Here's the crazy thing. I am not saying, I'm not, talking about violence on LinkedIn. I'm not saying smash the state on LinkedIn, right? I'm saying, wow, you know, it'd be great if every employer treated their employees with respect and dignity. Uh, And this is what your boss is saying. How dare you? You have to really... I'm so sorry this is going on for you, Rushi, but I'm glad to see your mail because you're aware of how insanely dysfunctional that is. That's just completely inappropriate. And the reason that a lot of this type of mail comes from the United States of America, where I was born and raised, is because we have a bad condition here, which is basically an absence of any of the laws protecting employees that exist in other industrialized nations. We don't have them. We don't have employment contracts. I talk about this all the time. But, you know, it's important to talk about because in, in, in the UK and in France and in wherever, you can't get fired because your boss doesn't like what you posted on LinkedIn. It would have to be very, very objectionable. You'd have to get fired for cause. And if you were not fired for cause, but they let you go, you got sacked, you were made redundant, they have to pay you. And here in the United States, we don't have that protection. So... People rightfully worry about their boss's reaction to the stuff they like on 
LinkedIn, so Rushi, I don't blame you a bit for not liking my post. Even if you like it in your head, in your heart, you don't have to like it on the screen. I don't want you to put your job at risk just for a little heart on LinkedIn or whatever the whatever the symbol is. It doesn't matter. Appreciate your writing, but you know, if you if it don't write from your work email to say something like that. It's sad though, because that's you diminished. Obviously, that's you not in your power, not able to even be who you are. Even on LinkedIn, which is the most worky, you know, <laughs> website, social media uh, platform, if you call it that, that there is on the earth, it's buttoned down, right? So it's just one of these things, one of these messages that Mother Nature or whoever, God, the laws of physics, whoever you follow, <laughs> look to, for guidance, it's one of these things the universe puts in front of you to say, Rushi, seriously though, figure out now, this is the message that you're getting sent, okay? You're not going to give notice at your job today because your boss looks at your LinkedIn activity and judges it, you know, that is imprudent. You, you don't probably have another job to go to right away and the rent must be paid, okay? But it's one of those little bumps on the side of the head to say, all right, what do I actually want out of this job? Probably not going to be in this job till I retire. What, what, what did I come to this job to get? And how much of that have I actually gotten yet? That's the question. I say a job is like a new level on a video game. You get to the new level of the video game. There's some treasure that you came to get. And you probably have to beat some bosses they're called bosses i didn't make that up and and to get to get the treasure and then you go on to the next level of the video game right so i don't want you rushi or anybody to think about a job as just this thing the static thing you get the job and then that was the big accomplishment and now you just park it and you stay there for 15 years that will you will calcify on most jobs in 15 years it would not be good for you and they also don't tend to last that long anymore we always have to be looking about. We always have to know the landscape. What else is out there? What do I want to do? Where's my path that I'm going to create for myself? Because the defined career paths that, that were still a thing when I started working, they're gone now in most cases. It's not like, hey, you do two years at this job, Rushi, and then we're going to move you up to this one, and then you're going to do that. Most of that is gone. I did a poll on LinkedIn, same site that you mentioned, and 70%, I think, of respondents, this is a pretty much of a the office-y site, LinkedIn, right? The, the traditional workplace type site. I think it was 68, 70% of people said they had never been promoted on a job. So that's the corporate ladder, which doesn't exist anymore, right? It did. Now it's sawdust. You got to make your own ladder or your own goat path or whatever you're trying to do. You got to do it yourself. So, so that your, your, this realization that it's not cool to be at a job where your boss is going to look at your LinkedIn activity and judge you harshly for it, such that you can't even like something I wrote because your boss might not approve of the like, that's a wake-up call. And my job, my goal here is to wake everybody up, right? To get everybody awake and thinking about what would I do next? What will I do next? And how do I get there? And how will that help me? And how can I, you know, use more of my brain and my heart, get paid more, get more autonomy, more latitude, more respect, more everything I want, which requires me to stop and think, 
about what I want, right? Long answer to your question, Rushi. But thank you so much for, for writing. If you have a question for me, send it to support at humanworkplace.com. That's our company, Human Workplace, and our movement to reinvent work for people. All right. You know, here's the thing, Rushi. People, when they realize, as you are realizing, that their job is not safe, right? It's not safe, I already said, in terms of job security, but it's just not safe for you to, to be there feeling feeling cozy, feeling valued, feeling like if you liked something irreverent that I that I posted there, nothing bad would happen, right? They would say, well, it's Rushi. She's amazing. She has, you know, she has great ideas. She's an incredible contributor. So what if I don't agree with all her likes? Who, who am I? I'm just her boss. She does a great job and I need to just shut up, right? If it's not, if it's not that, many jobs obviously are not. The way that people deal with that, that realization is a couple ways. One is that people get really cynical about work in general. And that's where we hear, oh, all jobs suck. Jobs just suck. It's what are you going to do? Jobs suck. You can find your satisfaction in other areas of life. And hey, if you find satisfaction in other areas of life, that is magnificent. I'm thrilled for you. There's nothing that says your job has to be the source of all your satisfaction or your, you know, whatever, your manifestation of your powers and your talents. No, of course not. A lot of people just do the job to get the money and, you know, they and they find their all their delights in the world in other places and they make their contribution and their art in other ways. It's absolutely fine. But the cynical view that work just sucks and there's nothing you can do with it, that uh, about it, that is, you know, not very empowered either, right? If you choose, say, I have a job that doesn't use a millionth of my brain. I don't care. I get a paycheck and then I go do my art elsewhere. Magnificent. But if it's this sort of defeated, victimy, got to be careful about the word victimy, right? Because we did not create this broken system. Let me say that. But when we knuckle under and just say, okay, I bow to it. I mean, it's disempowerment. All right. I'm not going to say victimhood because we literally are victims of this system. But the fact is still that we all vote. If we're, if we're old enough, we all, you know, have feet. We can change jobs when things really get bad. And I don't want anybody to forget that. We have some agency. We have some control. We can form a union if we want to do that, right? We can go to work for ourselves. We can go independent as a consultant. And a lot, a lot of people are doing that. So we have some levers we can pull. And we're not under anybody's thumb. We don't have to be. Make sense? All right. Now we got a question from Grant. Hi, Liz. You said in a recent post, here's me with the posts again. You said in a recent post that the biggest resume problem you see is when you read someone's resume and you can't tell what kind of job they want. I'm sure that's what people say about my resume. But isn't that their job to be able to figure out what kind of job I can do regardless of what kind of job I want? Mm, Grant, that's a great question. Thank you for asking that. That's a super insightful question. It's true. Somebody asked me, and I responded on a couple of social media platforms. They said, what's the biggest problem you see, Liz, in resumes? And I said, oh, uh, you know, the most prevalent resume problem is you read the resume and you can't tell what kind of job somebody wants. So this is Grant saying, okay, fine. 
who cares what kind of job I want? If I'm qualified for the job, that should come out. And they, the people at whatever employer I send the resume to, or an agency recruiter, you know, third-party recruiter, they should still be able to read my resume and see of whatever jobs they might have available, which ones I'm qualified for. Okay, Grant, that's the old model. I grew up as an HR person when we would get a resume in the door through the mail back then and then through email and open it and look at it and say, oh, this person would be qualified potentially for this job in our company or that job or the other job. That is typically not a thing anymore. Like I cannot overstress this. They don't do that step on the on the automated you know job sites the applicant tracking system stuff when you go to indeed or you go to linkedin or you go to whatever anywhere company's own website and they list the jobs you apply for that job so they're going to evaluate you for just that job they're not going to look at your resume and peruse it and see which jobs out of all their open positions you might theoretically be qualified for that step by and large unless it's a company of three people, you know, has fallen away. And even if it is a company of three people, they still want the most clearly appropriate, suitable candidate for any job, which means you have to brand yourself for the jobs you want. You must brand yourself for the jobs you want. You cannot go out there saying, I have a plethora, a wide variety of skills that could be useful to you and your organization and any number of different roles. You can't do that anymore. It doesn't work. It hasn't worked for years. They don't have time. They're not going to do that. They're not going to do that little bit of matching career coaching for you and tell you, hey, we have two or three positions that you might be qualified for. Used to when I was an HR person, but baby HR person in the, you know, punk rock era, maybe a little later, new wave, let's say, um, right up until, I don't know, mid 80s, late 80s, they would do that, but not now. You have to brand yourself, get in front of their face, telling them, here is how I am branding myself for this particular outreach to your particular company this moment in time. Doesn't mean you can only do one kind of job now, Grant. It just means that each time you apply for a different type of job, you have to customize your resume so that it looks like you were raised, you know, in a Petri dish to do that job. And how you do that is you go back through your resume and you highlight the stuff that you did at each role that is the most congruent, the most like what you're likely going to be asked to do in the job that you're applying for now, right? So the the piece of the process you're referring to where somebody takes the time to read through a resume and says, oh, I bet this person could do this job as an editorial assistant. See, they don't want somebody who could potentially do the job as an editorial assistant because they did something related three, five years ago. They want the person who shows up and says, look at me with all this editorial assistant stuff, right? They want the most editorial assistant-y person in the bunch. Does that make sense? Right, so, so, so one resume does not work for a multitude of different jobs. you got to customize these resumes. You could have six, eight versions of your resume on your hard drive. That's not too many. You just have to remember they're there, and you still have to customize the resume each time you, you use it. That's how people get interviews. can't change your experience, but you can highlight, emphasize, right, call out the most relevant pieces of your experience for every job that you go after. Hope that answers your question, Grant. 
Vera has a question. Hi, Liz. No formal information from my company yet on going back to work, but there are lots of rumors, and we suspect it will be later this year or early next year. No one has asked our opinion. I'm not willing to go back to the office full time. How should I proceed? All right, Vera, here's the thing. This is a wake-up call, just like Rushi had, realizing her boss is judging her by her likes on LinkedIn. You got to be ready to go if you need to go. If you just are not willing to go back to the office five days and that's what they want and add insult to injury, they didn't even ask your opinion, then you have to be ready to bail. That means, of course, update your resume and your LinkedIn profile. You could flip the switch on LinkedIn. There's a setting that will let recruiters know you're interested in hearing from them about other opportunities. You can flip that switch on LinkedIn in your settings and maybe start having conversations with recruiters. The, the, the name of the game now is be ready to bail. When I had my kids, uh, one of the things you do when you're getting ready to have a baby is you pack a bag to be ready to go to the hospital with the stuff you're going to need at the hospital. And you just have that bag ready. And you might not need it this week. You might not need it next week. But time's going to come and you're going to need that hospital bag. And that's you. Now, you are getting ready to bail. And it might not happen. They might, they might announce that they're opening up the office January 1st, 2022. And only those people who want to come back to the office need to do that. Everybody else can start. You don't know. But you got to be ready. You got to be primed. Does that make sense? Runners on your mark, that type of thing. And that's everybody listening to this podcast. We all have to be ready to move because stuff happens unexpectedly at work and it could change your whole life at work. It could change the way you see that job. Okay. This is from Michael. Dear Liz, I am 42 and thinking about a career change. I don't know what I would, might want to do, but I know I cannot do what I'm doing for the rest of my working life. How should I start? Okay. First thing is, Michael, good for you waking up. It's fantastic. And um, I would get a journal. Get a journal and just start writing in it. Write about your current job, write about what you like, what you've learned, your biggest triumphs on the job, what you, why you want to leave it, why it's just at the end of its rope with you, don't want to do this for the rest of your career, and just start writing about what you like to do, what you're good at, and then start doing some research externally. Go on LinkedIn and read LinkedIn profiles of people who are doing things that you might find interesting to do yourself. Career change is an exploratory process, right? It's not a transaction. The biggest problem with career change and the reason a lot more people don't do it, don't embark on it, is because it's scary. We feel naked. We feel exposed in career change. Like, I have some expertise, but it's not in this area, whatever new area I pick, because it's in my old area, but I don't want that anymore. Or it went away. It doesn't even exist anymore, right? And the people that are brave enough to walk into that unknown territory and say, I'm going to explore. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to pick something. I don't even know if that will be my career forever. But careers aren't forever anymore, right? I mean, my dad was a print publisher, magazine publisher, business magazines. And I remember him saying to me, printing business magazines, Liz, is like a license to print money in the 80s. A license to print money, business magazine money is flowing in. He said, because I aggregate the audience with really good editorial content that advertisers want. 
So I applaud you and everybody who's willing to step into that unknown territory, Michael, because really that's where all the learning is and all the possibility is. It's in that, it's in that desert of reinvention, right? That I talk about in the book. I actually wrote a book about this very topic. It's called Reinvention Roadmap. And it's step-by-step. Step. It's walking through, picking a new career, figuring out what you're going to try next, getting branded for that. Just like I told um, Grant, you have to be branded, especially when you're doing career change for the jobs that you want, and then going and getting that job. So you could check that out. It's called Reinvention Roadmap. But yeah, first step, get a journal. That's my recommendation on that. All right, we got one more question from Denise. Hi, Liz. I love the idea of independent consulting, but I have no idea how to sell or how to get clients, and I don't know how to get started. Well, Denise, super common thing. Look at when we think about our training since we were little kids regarding work, what we learned about work, it's that just like with Michael, you pick a career path and you stick with it. Well, who can do that now? In this day and age, the career path might disappear. Like I said, my dad was a print publisher, and that's not much of a thing anymore, right? Print publishing and selling ads and print, yeah, not as much. Some People magazine, maybe. Some magazines, but not business magazines, certainly. Right? It went away. I don't know. I don't know if my dad knew it was going away. It really didn't go away by the time he retired, but then it did. Super fast. Print journalism in general. It's in deep, deep, deep trouble. Um... And it's weird because when I started writing career advice and workplace leadership advice, it was print publications at first, and then it switched over to online. And I remember an editor saying to me, oh, so you know how to write for online? And I said, I don't really, is that a thing? What would that consist of? I'm not familiar, I, I, but I've been doing it like 10 years and I, it's no different. It's the same sentiments, you know, I, I, I write exactly the same for online as I do for print. He goes, oh, no, 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 I went to a seminar on that. You just stuff your article full of buzzwords and keywords, and you do listicles, and, you know, and that's what gets, the, that's what gets all the traffic. And I was like, oh, I haven't really tried that. You know, that's, uh, that's new to me. Trivial, trivializing, in other words, content because it was presented or published online, and there's amazing content online, of course. What that gentleman didn't realize is that, you know, print was going away, even then. But he felt like writing for online was this sort of lesser form. It's interesting, isn't it? The ideas that are implanted in our heads. And when it comes to this idea of going to work, many or most of us were taught that you have to work for somebody else. You can't work for yourself. You can't work for yourself as a consultant because it's too scary. Look at all the rhetoric around entrepreneurs are mavericks. They're mavericks. They're different from you and me. I soaked that up. I thought it was true. My dad was a salary guy. My mom was a teacher before she got married. And then she worked for a university, like government job. And I, I, my whole family was like teachers and police officers. My grandfather was a police officer. They were firemen, uh, firefighters. It wasn't I didn't, there wasn't an entrepreneurial theme going on. Although you go back two, three more generations, they were all entrepreneurs without the fancy French unpronounceable word, right? To describe it. They just worked. They got up and did the farming or they did whatever. And 
We, uh, many of us, have been taught you can't work for yourself. So of course you don't know how to sell Denise or how to get started or how to get clients because we're trained. We know how to get a job. Sooner or later, we're going to get a job, but we don't know how to do the other and work for ourselves, on top of which we're taught it's super scary, risky. You know, it's weird. We don't think it's risky to get a job and then get fired from the job and then you have no income at all, but we think it's risky to be a consultant and have five clients and then one of the clients goes away, they go out of business or they retire, and then you still have four clients <laughs> and you have to fill in 20% of your income. Isn't that weird? That's brainwashing. That's indoctrination. So yeah, I'm a super big fan of people starting their own consulting business, part-time, full-time, whatever. Just make some money. It feels different. Really, really does. I think I've talked on the podcast about me singing at, at weddings and funerals, singing in churches all through my 20s. And that money, I mean, I looked at it differently. It felt very cool, very empowering. Wasn't enough to pay my rent, but Actually, could have been, could have been, if I had needed it to, because back then, yeah, I would say it would have been about six, you know, wedding or funeral combination, and I could have paid the rent, wouldn't have anything left over, but, you know, knowing how to make some cash is a very incredibly empowering and important life skill, and I think part of our, part of our fear these days, part of our nervousness is that most of us don't know how to do that. So we really, really need the job. And then we need the job so much, we ignore things like Rushi with the, with the boss who's looking at her LinkedIn activity and evaluating her based on it, you know? And that can't be good for our health. Can't be good for our, our, our sleep or our emotional state or our relationships. So yeah. Now, in terms of consulting, I'm working on a project about that. Working on a course, new course, interactive. Um, never done anything like that before with me there, you know? Not teaching in real time like like scheduled sessions, but they're answering questions in a in a in a forum in a group a community, um, you know, right along with the with the modules, and I'm excited about it because I love to see people step into their power as entrepreneurs, even if they're still working full time and plan to for for years on end. Just having that ability to figure out what they're good at and what they get get paid for. And then going and getting those clients and doing the work and getting the money, it's a big deal. All right, so that is it for this podcast, episode 54. If you have a question for me, please send it to support at humanworkplace.com. And I'll try to answer it on the podcast or on social media. And, um, you know, thanks for following us. Thanks for telling your friends about the podcast and Human Workplace in general. And, um, you know, here's to you and your growing flame.